0: Thank you, Cassidy and worship team, and let's praise with our hands the God that we just worshiped with our voices. If you have your Bibles, open it with me to the book of Joshua, and we are in Joshua chapter 3 as we are continuing our series, Strong and Courageous, as we are learning to walk out our faith in Christ. So when you came in, you were handed a rock, and I hope that you thought, what does this rock mean? Because if you thought that, that's exactly what you were supposed to think because that is a direct quote from Joshua chapter 4, spoiler alert, God will deliver Joshua through the Jordan River, they will build a monument with the stones from the Jordan River, and then they did that because God said, one day your kids are going to look at this stone of rocks, of this monument of rocks... And they're gonna ask, what did these stones mean to you? And it'll give you an opportunity to tell them what God did for you, how God behaved miraculously in your midst. And then you'll be able to tell your kids, He did it for us, and He's gonna do it for you. And that's what these rocks mean. So if you go to Israel today, you don't see a lot of trees, you see a lot of rocks. So when we hear that Jesus was a carpenter and we see Jesus in paintings and pictures working with wood, that's not real accurate. He was a stone worker. He had to have been a stone worker. They didn't build buildings out of wood. They built buildings out of stone. There weren't trees. There was a high premium on wood. They had to import them from Lebanon, but stones were in abundance. And so there was a demand for stones. Stones were cheap. That was a common profession. He was most likely a stone worker he built and carved blocks of stone for building things there's a whole lot of rocks so if you go to the funeral if you go to a funeral and if you go to the cemetery as if you go to one of our cemeteries you'll see flowers on the graves you go to the cemetery in israel to this day you don't see flowers on graves you see piles of rocks on graves and it's for people to ask, what does this stone mean? And it's a promise that somebody is holding on to. It's a promise from God that they are believing for their future. It's some painful, it represents some painful event in their past that they are leaving behind. Some hopeful future that they are clinging to. In fact, I was studying at Starbucks yesterday, and I had just bought these rocks, <laughs> and and I struck up a conversation, and we were visiting, and I read they, this person was going through a difficult time, I read Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3, and I gave them a rock and said, hold on to that, that's God's promise for you. And by the time you leave this place this morning, I pray that there's something you will leave behind, and that's what this bucket of water is about. Because what you have in your hand is to represent something in your painful past that you are going to leave behind. And so, you can put it in the sea of forgetfulness. And then pray and consecrate your heart to the Lord. I'm glad I made that shot, by the way. (laughs) Consecrate your heart to the Lord and hold on to some promise for your future. So with that, let's read our text, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, the Jordan River, it's there to this day, he and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, this is how long they camped before the Jordan. Now, they are about to cross the Jordan. This is a graduation of sorts. They are graduating from the wilderness and they are entering in to the promised land. And like any graduation, there's a mixture of emotions. It's both a somber and a solemn time because an era is over, but it's also an exciting time because an era is beginning. Any graduation, there's going to be a moment that you wipe tears from your eyes because the sun is setting on everything that is familiar and comfortable. But it's also a season that there is passion and fire in your eyes because the sun is rising on everything that you have only dreamt of to this point. So in a sense, a graduation is both a burial and a birth. It's a burial of sorrow. It's a burial of painful experiences that are best left in the past, but it's also a birth of your heart's deepest prayers. And Israel is about to pass from the wilderness to the promised land. They are about to become a people of promised dwellers and leave a life of wilderness wanderers behind. They are about to graduate from a life of frustration. Read about it. 40 years of frustration in the wilderness to a season of fruitfulness from a painful past and they are going to enter in to a promised future. They are about to leave a season where they were terrified, literally shaking in their sandals over the giants in their future. And they are entering into a season that the giants in their future are literally terrified of them. They are entering into this new era. graduation but like any graduation there is a rite of ceremony there is a rite of passage there is a stage that you must walk and so it is with Israel and their graduation from the wilderness to the promised land they had to first walk the stage and that stage is the Jordan River and so it is with us When God gives us a blessing, when God gives us a promise, He gives us with that blessing, He gives us with that promise a stage to walk, a Jordan River to get our feet wet in, a step of faith in other words that we have to take. We have to take a step of faith to leave a life of the wilderness, to enter into a life of promise. There is some Jordan River that God is calling you to dip your toe in and then watch him do the rest in order to pass through a life of frustration into a life of fruitfulness. So let's continue to read. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it. About 2,000 cubits in length, do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And I love this verse. I read this last week. Last week we preached on Joshua chapter 2. I almost skipped Joshua chapter 2 in all sincerity because I was so excited to get to this verse. Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In other words, God is going to do great miracles among you. He will do wonders among you tomorrow, so consecrate consecrate yourself today. Now let me put this in context. Back in the day, a long day ago, I played football. On offense, I was the guy who ran out for the passes. And I could always tell when our quarterback was going to throw the ball to me. He would call the route you know, 354 OG, you just kind of run 15 yards out, try to shake the guy, cut right, go deep. And I could always tell when the quarterback was going to throw the ball to me, but we had this kind of this connection, right? I would get up to the line of scrimmage, I would look at him, and he would make eye contact with me. And when I knew that he made that eye contact with me, that I better be 35 yards, 40 yards down the field because the football was going to be there. Now, if I waited till he was good on his promise to throw the football to begin running, then he would throw the football, but I would miss it. So I couldn't wait for him to throw the football before I started running, otherwise I would miss the connection with the ball. And in the same way, God says, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow I'm going to do marvelous things among you. In other words, God is saying, don't wait until you're blessed to begin behaving like a blessed child of mine, otherwise you're going to miss the blessing. God is saying, don't wait until you feel anointed to act anointed, otherwise you're going to miss the anointing. Now, I'm going to throw the blessing, I'm going to throw the anointing, but will you be there to catch it? Will you be there to receive it? God is saying, consecrate yourself, because I'm going to do marvelous things. Don't wait till I do marvelous things to consecrate yourself, otherwise you're going to miss the marvelous things. I'm going to throw the marvelous things, but you're not going to be there to intersect with it. And I thought, how many times? Do God's miracles, do God's blessings, do God's answered prayers land with a thud on an empty end zone with no believer in sight because they failed to consecrate themselves, to actually believe, to actually put uh, feet to their faith. Joshua said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Verse 6, and Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant did everybody see the first Raiders of the Lost Ark, a little point of reference? The Ark of the Covenant, it's a, today it's probably one of the most uh, exciting but, but mysterious archaeological events or uh, pieces in history. It's last mentioned in 586 BC with the destruction of Jerusalem and Babylon, by Babylon. But the Ark of the Covenant, it's a box, it's a square box. And on top of this square box that's made out of gold, there were statues of angels, and their wings touched. And underneath the wings was a bowl. And that's where the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed animals that uh, for centuries was a picture of the soon coming uh, crucifixion of Christ. And inside the box, there was Moses' uh, tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments that he threw and broke. And inside the box was Aaron's rod that, though dead, it budded to represent that God brings life out of death, and he makes a way where there is no way. And in that box was a jar of that heavenly manna to remind the people that God provides. And This is the Ark of the Covenant, and literally, it was God's throne in the midst of his people that rested inside the Holy of Holies in the temple and the moving tabernacle in this era of Joshua. Now, we don't need the Ark of the Covenant today. It's best that it's lost. And because we don't need buildings, we don't need places, because now our heart is God's throne on this earth. Our heart is the residing place of the Holy Spirit. And so God says to Joshua, then Joshua says to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And he's telling them two things that you've got to do to experience these wonders. And these are the two overarching points of today's message. The first thing, he's saying, you've got to get your heart right. Amen. Secondly, he's saying, you've got to get your feet wet. And each of these steps required faith, and this faith was a necessity for God to work through. Consecrate yourselves. Get your heart right. Get your heart right. Let's look at the awe that the people had with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was to be carried by the priest and to go 2,000 cubits before these 1 million Israelites. That's, that's a distance of almost one mile. So the presence of the Lord is handled by the priests a mile ahead of the people. Now we know today that God doesn't have to be a mile away from us and his presence handled only by the priests because through faith in Christ we're forgiven, the Holy Spirit enters us, we're all priests, we celebrate the priesthood of the believers, it's a, it's a concrete theological foundation here. And it enables us all to pray and draw near to God. In the New Testament, we draw near to God. But thus, this does speak to the reality that in order to consecrate ourselves to prepare for God's wonders among us, we do have to set Christ apart in our hearts, as Peter said. We do have to revere Christ as Lord. I mean, Christ just isn't just one of the buddies with all the other buddies in our life. We have to be reverence. About Christ. We have to be in awe of Him. He must be our Lord. There's a term called prostrate. We must be prostrate before Christ. It's a worshipful posture where our heart has to be reverent. Our heart has to be in awe before Christ. So, whereas relationally, we draw near, reverentially, we set Christ apart. We are in awe of Christ. And so, how does a people consecrate themselves? Out in the wilderness. Well, if you recall, they're camping out where? Right by the Jordan River. And so they would partake of something called mikvah. If you go to the temple today, on the east side, on the steps where Peter preached Pentecost, all around the steps, it looks like hot tubs. And it's where people would partake of this ancient ceremony called mikvah. And what they would do is quite literally walk down into the hot tub, and they would get their—it wasn't—they didn't actually call it a hot tub, it was a ceremonial place for cleansing and bathing. And they would get their feet wet, and as their feet was in the water, they would pray cleansing over their steps, and that God would lead them. And in fact, as you walked up those steps, even to this day, some steps are this wide, some steps are this wide, some steps are this wide— And the rabbis commissioned the building of the steps as such so that when you went up to the temple to commune with God, you had to consider your steps— you couldn't just walk mindlessly. You had to walk with the reverence and consider your steps. So they got their feet wet, and they would pray, oh God, cleanse my feet, cleanse my steps, lead my steps. Don't let my feet go anywhere that is unpleasing to you. And then they would walk deeper until their, until their heart was emerged under the water, and they would pray, God, clean my heart. Don't let there be any meditations that are displeasing to you. Let my heart have a, have a singular desire for you, a burning desire for you for you, let me desire you so much that I don't even desire the world, and then eventually they would submerge their mind under the water and they would pray, renew my mind, O God. And then they would emerge from this cleansing ceremony called mikvah, and then they would commune with God. This incidentally was instituted by the Essenes. The Pharisees were a political organization that tried to, or they were a religious organization that tried to bring about change through strict adherence to the moral law. The Sadducees were very political, and they were trying to bring about change through strict adherence to politics. And and then there was the Sadducees, they were actually terrorists, and they were trying to bring about change through military might and... Impromptu battles where they killed thousands of Roman soldiers, especially during the ceremonies. But then there are the Essenes. And they just retreated to themselves. And they made holiness an art form, and they were trying to bring about change through personal consecration. And mikvah is where the ceremony picks up in the Gospels of baptism when John was baptizing people unto repentance, and then Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness and commanded us to follow him in baptism, which he personalized as his stamp upon all of his followers. And it's a way that we can walk in the exact footsteps of Christ, so, a million people are camping out by the Jordan River, and these wilderness wanderers partake of mikvah to cleanse their steps, to cleanse their heart, to cleanse their mind as they're preparing for God to do wonders among them. But they made sure as well that their, not only were their hearts right, but their eyes were focused on their God. And everybody's eyes was fixed on the Ark of the Covenant as it led the way one mile ahead of them. And so we have to make sure that Christ is set apart in our heart, that our hearts are cleansed. Now, they had to get down in the Jordan River, and we know that there's not enough water in the Jordan River or the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans combined to wash away just one of any of our sins. Just one. The physical water washing away the physical dirt was a metaphor of the spiritual living waters of Jesus Christ that would wash away all of our sins one day. So it was a metaphor of what Christ would ultimately do in our lives. But when you come down today and you have this, let this represent something in your life, something in your past. Something that prevents you from praying boldly, from worshiping joyfully, from sharing Christ passionately, from serving in ministry with joy and enthusiasm. Let this represent something in your life, in your past, that's that's preventing you from moving forward. And then when you come down, leave it buried in the sea of forgetfulness. Consecrate your heart unto the Lord. Jim Elliot wrote, Father, take my life, yea, my blood, if thou wilt, and consume it with thine enveloping fire. I would not save it, for it is not mine to save. Have it, Lord, have it all. Pour out my life as an oblation for the world. Ah, blood is only of value as it flows before thine altar. And this young man in his 20s, back in the 1940s, was martyred by the Aucas in Ecuador, and his One of his last prayers was blood is only of value as it flows before thine altar. I desire not a long life, but a full one like yours, Lord Jesus. And in relation to Father's Day, he wrote, quoting Psalms, children are arrows in a quiver, as the Psalms say, and they are to be trained as missionaries and shot at the devil. (laughs) Great quote. So... Get your heart right. Now let's move into the second step, to experience God, to do wondrous things among you. God is going to be faithful to give you the blessing, will you be there to receive it? Will you be there to be able to sustain it, to be able to carry it on? So first, get your heart right, second, get your feet wet. Let's continue to read verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that I was with you as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, commanded the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the... Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and the Termites. Don't you guys hate the last one? Verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is before you. In other words, God's presence is with you. And when you consecrate your life before the Lord, when your heart is right before God, you know that God is leading the way. And you have no need to fear the giants in your life, just the opposite. The giants in your life will fear you. Verse 12, now therefore take 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And what these men are to do. As they cross through the Jordan River, and if you go to the Jordan River today, you have to be very careful when you walk, because it's not a sandy riverbed, it is stone on top of stone, it's very difficult to walk in. And so, after all the people pass through the Jordan River, each of the men, one man from each of the tribes of Israel, is to take a rock and then carry that with you, and then you're going to make a monument where you settle that night, and that monument would end up being about eight miles away. Verse 13, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. This is a miracle probably even greater than the miracle 40 years earlier when God parted the Red Seas, because the Israelites walk across on dry ground, but not only that, It's not just the river, it's the river at springtime. The flood banks are rising. This is a river that you cannot walk. It's difficult to walk even when the river is calm and placid. It's difficult to walk and not fall down. But especially the river is flowing with very strong rapids, a very strong current. It's churning, it's bubbling, it's flowing very fast. And God says, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. As soon as you get your feet wet, as soon as your toe breaks the water's surface, I'm going to do something powerful among you. So, verse 14... So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks through the time of harvest. This is that time. The waters coming down from above stood up and rose in one heap. It's like a dam just stopped the water, and then the, dry, the ground became dry. Near the city at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, a lost city today, and those flowing down came toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, and there were, and, and the sea was completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the people was passing over on dry ground until all the nation—this is a million people, don't you know the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant were like, hurry up, guys, go, go, go. And when they finished passing over the Jordan, they praised God, and then they took 12 stones, much bigger than these, probably as big as their, the strongest man in each tribe could carry, because it, one guy carried it eight miles. And they wanted it to be a powerful monument, so it was obviously bigger than this, but it was, it was a size that one guy could carry, their, their, their best guy, their most in shape guy. But there were actually, and we glossed right over this, but there were actually two piles of stones. The first pile of stone, they left in the Jordan River. They built a monument of 12 stones in the Jordan River, and when the last person's foot left the river and began to walk upon the ground, then God brought the floods right back and it washed right over the pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan River for only God to see. Why would they do that? The second pile of stones, like I said, they carried eight miles to the town that they settled, and then they built that pile of stones, and that was so that everybody could see, and so that one day, some kid would ask their dad or granddad, what do these stones mean? And they could remind them of God's greatness and glory, and say, he did it for us, and he'll do it for you. Yeah, yeah, let's praise Jesus. Put your hands together. let's go back to the pile of stones in the middle of the river what are they there for you know the Israelites crossed the Jordan River you know Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and Jesus doesn't do anything by chance I kind of like to think that Jesus was baptized he only knew it at the exact spot where the 12 stones were created because Jesus' water baptism to fulfill all righteousness was a picture of Jesus' baptism as he told his disciples, are you able to drink the baptism which I will be baptized with? And they said yes, having no idea what they were talking about. But Jesus said yes, you will, knowing exactly what he was talking about, and that was his crucifixion. And so the passing from the past into the future, from the wilderness into the promised land, from a past of frustration into a life of fruitfulness, from an old era into a new era is a picture of Christ's baptism. And as Christ was baptized, that was a picture of his crucifixion. And when we are in Christ, when we are Christians, we are in Christ, that means that we are baptized in Christ's Baptism, which means that our old life is gone. And this is the terminology that we use when we, when we baptize around here, buried in the likeness of His death, raised in the likeness of His resurrection. In other words, when we commit our lives to Christ and the Spirit of Christ comes into our heart, every sin, every failure, every lust, every ounce of bitterness and anger and disobedience toward God is left buried in the sea of forgetfulness. Chris, let's take a look at uh, some of these promises in relation to when we are baptized in Christ, what it means for us to leave the wilderness and enter into the promised land through the Jordan River. The first verse that we have, it's coming up. Isaiah 43 19. God says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So when we are in Christ, that means we leave the wilderness behind. We don't have to rehearse it and rehash it and relive it over and over. We are new. God wants to do a new thing in our hearts. Let's take a look at the next verse. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot you will cast our sins in the depth of the sea. What a promise. To be in Christ, to be baptized in Christ, to be a Christian is to be baptized in Christ, which means that all of our sins, past, present, and future, we are justified, meaning justified, never sinned. All of our sins are cast into the depths of the sea and he treads our iniquities underfoot let's take a look at the next verse Hebrews eight twelve. for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more why are the twelve stones in the Jordan River to this day that nobody can see it's because God says I don't even see them I don't even remember them I remember them no more let's take a look at the next verse Isaiah 43 25 God says, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. So I like to think that Christ was baptized right where they stacked up those 12 stones as a monument, that they're living, leaving a past behind and they're l- entering into God's promise for their life. They're leaving an era of frustration and mistakes and failure behind, and they're entering into an era of fruitfulness. That's where Christ was baptized as a picture of His ultimate baptism and resurrection. And when we are in Christ, we are baptized in Christ, which means that our sins again, our past, that thing that you just have had trouble letting go of and that has been holding you back and causing your prayers to be timid is forgotten in the sea of forgetfulness. So there's two piles of stones. One pile is in the sea of forgetfulness, and there's another pile of stone, and that was for everybody to see and for everybody to ask about, what do these stones mean? And then you would see this sort of glisten in their eye, and there would probably be an old timer by now, and their weary voice would now have strength as they begin speaking with authority of what God did in their life and what God will do in your life as well. If you're not afraid to get your heart right and you're not afraid to get your feet wet, God will do the rest and he will do wonders among you. He will show himself powerful on your behalf. And I think that the 12 stones that were built in order for people to ask, what do these stones mean, are a perfect subject matter for Father's Day. Because as dads, as men, we must live a life for people to ask what does that mean? Why do you pray? Why do you get up every morning and read your Bible? Why don't you do what they do? Why don't you deal with stress the way my grandma dealt with stress, or the way my dad deals with stress, if it's somebody watching you? Why are you different? Why do you go to church? Why do you tithe of your income? Why do you serve in ministry? Why aren't you worried? And then you can say, because God did it for me then, and God is going to do it for me again, and He's going to do it in your life as well and we all need somebody in our life that we point to Christ and we say I've got to tell you what Jesus has done for me and he'll do it for you maybe you're a dad be sure to point your kids to Christ be sure to leave a legacy of faith perhaps you're not a dad or Perhaps you're not a mom. There is still somebody in your life that you can leave a legacy of faith to. In fact, I told Brandy, I said, hey, you know what? This has been on my coffee table for uh, like the whole last year. It's a note that she wrote me a couple of years ago. And I uh, asked her if I could read it today, and she said, Sure. Brandy's one of our youth who's now, she's one of our young adults. So proud of her working and in school and just a bright countenance, walking with Jesus. Her Bible is worn out that we gave her when she got saved and baptized around here. And she wrote, dear Pastor Shane, thank you so much for being there for us and treating us like your own kids. I'm glad to have met you. And to go to this holy place for, five, for over five years. It has been a blessing. I am very thankful. You shared many things and showed me that being bitter towards anyone will destroy relationships that God brings into my life. You've shown me how to heal. And most of all, you've shown me how to forgive. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are a blessing in my life. And you've helped me to grow more and more in Christ. Love Brandy. And asked her if I could share this this morning. And and I just shared that to say, we've got to leave a godly legacy. We've got to build stones everywhere we go, causing people to say, what does that mean? Why do you do that? And then we can point people to Jesus. That's why God brings people in our life, so that we can point them to Jesus. You know, Peter uses the phrase in first Peter in the New Testament living stones what's the difference of a living stone and a dead stone well you go to Israel today and sometimes you see like we just read about these big stones stacked on top of each other and it's obviously a monument but they call them dead stones and they call them dead stones because nobody knows what they mean nobody knows why they were built the story has been lost so they're dead stones so somebody will walk by, and they'll see a monument, and the kid will ask their dad, what do these stones mean? And the dad will say, you know, that's a good question. Those are dead stones. The story's been lost. Peter said, you're not dead stones. You're living stones. The story's not lost. Our life should preach. Our life should always be preaching. Our life should always be pointing people to Christ which means we should seize every opportunity to point people to Christ, to brag on Jesus, to boast of his goodness, to boast of his faithfulness. As I met the person yesterday, I gave the rock to and read Isaiah 61, three, and then prayed for them and I said, you hold on to this. This is God's promise. I was able to share the most difficult seasons of my life and I was able to say, God delivered me. God is going to deliver you. This is what he does. He's a deliverer. I found the most quiet spot I could find sometime last week to study a sermon, and wouldn't you know it, it ended up being a divine appointment. Young lady sat across from me and said, so are you a pastor? I bet you're working on a sermon. I said, yeah. She said, share something with me. And I shared this very thing, Joshua, that we're talking about. I said, consecrate yourself, for God will do marvelous things in your life tomorrow. She said, what does that mean? Get, get yourself together? I said, yeah, pretty much. Just get yourself together. Expect God to do great things in your life. He'll do it happened to have an extra Bible in my backpack. I wrote her name on it, and church's website gave it to her. She started crying like a little baby. She was so touched. I said, God's got plans for you. All that to say, everywhere we go, we are living stones. We don't have to build a monument. Why? Because we are the monument. We are the living stones of how God delivered us, of how God blessed us, how God works through us, how God listens to us, how God is with us. We don't have to build stones. We are the monument. We are the living stones of what God wants to do in our life. So I want to invite everybody to invite somebody. Chris, let's throw up this next slide. I have a flag up there because on July 1st, it's the weekend before the 4th of July, on that particular Sunday morning we are having a Freedom Fest, and on this Freedom Fest we're going to celebrate our national freedom, but not only that, we're going to celebrate freedom in Christ, and it's going to culminate, that particular Sunday morning is going to culminate with the cookout, and I know if you were at the last cookout you're probably thinking, oh gosh it was so hot. Yeah, but this time we're going to have water slides and water things for the kids, and it's going to be cool, and we'll have fans out there, we're going to have a great cookout, but not only that, we're going to have an opportunity to follow Jesus in baptism. So if you've never followed Jesus in baptism, what are you waiting on? This isn't something that you have to pray about. This is something that you just have to be obedient in. You don't have to pray about if it's God's will if you've never followed Jesus in baptism. You just have to pray for the boldness to follow Jesus in baptism. And invite all of your friends to watch you follow Jesus in baptism because when you go under the water it's a picture. It's just a picture but it's a picture of how all of your sins, past, present, and future are washed away. And when you come up out of the water, it's a picture of how you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's an outward expression of what happened inside your heart when you follow Jesus in baptism. So if you've never followed Jesus in baptism, then July 1st, Freedom Fest, that Sunday morning, that's your day. And it's also an awesome day to invite kids because we're gonna have a great day in the children's ministry and we're gonna have um, a big cookout afterwards. So invite everyone in that particular morning, we'll just be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's gonna be a very exciting day as we celebrate our nation's freedom, but more than that, as we celebrate our freedom in Christ. So in closing, what frustration does God want to deliver you from? What promise does God want to deliver you for? What in your past do you need to leave behind and drop in the sea of forgetfulness? And what promise do you need to hold on to about your future? Consecrate yourselves, God says, for tomorrow I'm going to do marvelous things among you. Consecrate yourselves. In other words, we get our heart right. For tomorrow, I'm going to do marvelous things among you. In other words, we believe God for a promise in our life. So I want to encourage you to leave something in here. You might just spend some time communing with the Lord. And then as you leave the altar, take another stone as a reminder to you. Keep it in your pocket. Hold on to it as you pray as a reminder for what you're expecting God to do in your life. Would you stand with me, please? Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3. And it reads, This is a promise that I want to give you to hold on to. And in fact, how many of you, with your heads bowed, how many of you would say, you know what, there's something I need to let go of? All right. Amen. And some of you, how many of you would say, you know what, there's a promise I need to hold on to. Raise your hand. All right. So I want to invite you to come forward. We read about Isaiah 61, what God wants to do in your life. He wants to give you beauty instead of ashes beauty instead of ashes. Do you know what ashes were in the Old Testament? In fact, when I was reading this to the person I gave a rock to yesterday, they said, what are ashes? I said, ashes are grieving. When people were really grieving, when they were very sorrowful, when they were mourning, they just covered themselves in ashes. And instead of ashes, God wants to give you beauty. He wants to give you gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that they may be glorified all right so bow your heads with me please if you've got something to leave here in the sea of forgetfulness just drop it in this bucket hear it splash and then pray consecrate your heart pick up a rock hold on to the promises consecrate yourself for god is going to do marvelous things among you tomorrow expect it the entire preceding generation stopped expecting marvelous things and their consecration went out the window they lost the ability to consecrate themselves. Their hearts became so hardened because their expectation of God's power was, became so weak. Consecrate yourself. Tomorrow God will do marvelous things among you. Father, I pray that everybody here would have a heart and spirit of expectation. Do marvelous things among everybody. We are expecting you to do marvelous things in the lives of every person here. And we're not going to miss that blessing, we're going to be ready for it, because we're going to be consecrated. We're expecting marvelous things from your powerful hand, glory to your name. And as a church, we are consecrated, repented, focused on you, with you set apart in our heart, expecting marvelous things among us, To you be the glory. All right, guys, the altars are open.